some people think, hey, you're, you have to be born with this, a special thing that makes you innovative or creative or whatever. But what the scientists have said, no, the truth really is, is that our brains are uniquely wired to be creative. Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we've set out to examine the higher order capabilities we need to build an optimal future with AI. I'm Sarah, your host through this exploration of elements of human flourishing. So let's figure out together how we can cultivate them. When today's guest reached out to me about possibly being on the show, he said this. The best piece of advice that I've shared with my children is that the line between points A and B is never a straight one. Sometimes it feels like we're going in the opposite direction. This is why I studied the creative process. Creativity is all about failures, iterations, and discovery. Many think that creativity is something you have to be born with, but the truth is we are all wired to create. And I believe creativity is just another way to describe what people do when they thrive. When we unlock it, it opens our minds to bridge between ways of thinking that can transform us. And I'd love to share this with your audience, insights from scientists and creatives that helped me develop a process. Are you in? So today I welcome Rich Kirkpatrick, a musician and author of the book Mind Blown, Unlock Your Creative Genius by Bridging Science and Magic. Until a few weeks ago, I didn't know that Rich existed in the world, but I am so glad that he found me because this conversation is unique, exploratory, and helpful in making the thinking about creativity quite accessible. So I'll just repeat what Rich said here. Are you in? Welcome to The Optimalist. Um, I used to work in really strict church environments as a creative person, as a musician, as a person who put productions together. And so I said, I was one of only, of course, when you're a creative person, you're probably by yourself anyway. If you're in a corporate environment, you're you know, the one graphic designer in the office or the one whatever. And so that experience over time um, led me to have to explain the kinds of things that I needed in order to do my job, in order to recruit musicians to be a part of whatever it was I was doing or to record music and all those kinds of things. And so over time I, I ended up, you know, teaching workshops to church musicians and how to get through and how to explain your role. Um, Cause it's not like theater where you have an exact list of roles of what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was an important thing. It was just kind of like deconstruct that a little bit as time grew on. I had some folks come up on the workshops I would teach and they'd say, Hey, Rich, um, explain your creative process to me. And suddenly I went blank, uh, because I, I didn't hmm. really look at it that way. And that set me off. About That's like eight- thinking formally about it, right? Yeah. In a way that you wouldn't have thought. Yeah. So anyways, that, that so that, yeah. what that did was get me to ask and be curious about what is this creative process? What do I do? Um, <laughs> to have the right to explain it to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to say, Hey, if you want to uh, find musicians, here's ways to find them and that kind of practical stuff. But how do we create and how do we keep that going? So that set me off on uh, lots of curious conversations when I used to drive Lyft and on the way to the LAX airport, I met all sorts <laughs> of people <laughs> as you would, because it's a terrible uh-huh. ride folks. If you're not in Los oh. Angeles, uh, you, you live there for 15 it's years. The worst thing. <laughs> oh, isn't it that worst little drive? It's not like mm-hmm. you can, you can get to the airport, like you can see it, but then there's that, you know, 
20 minutes or you know what it is people always complain and i say this when people are flying in here into la and they're like or and they've never been to that to la and they'll be like i i'm nervous about going to the airport and i'm like meanwhile i'm from new york and we're used to all those airports i'm like it's really not bad what's bad is the getting to and from and getting the ride share um I find it better than New York airports as far as if I'm going to go to the airport and fly out of it, but it's coming back and then having to get into a rideshare experience. Mm-hmm. That is a, a wild time. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, see, so like now I'm in yeah. Oakland, I just take the the BART train and yeah. and that, that helps. So well, anyway, so I, I was stuck with people and I would try it out. <laughs> and this guy was a filmmaker and this guy was a, uh, she was a cook or chef and Wonderful conversations because I love, love just to talk to people. And so I tried out this idea that I came up with uh, this for creative processes, three, these three zones or three steps. And they all love the idea. My barber loved it. And, you know, being around people in um, Los Angeles and lo- when I lived in Long Beach mm-hmm. um, and just the work that I do, it was, it just came upon me because the center of my work is I really, I'm into developing people. I just think that's the one thing that's kind of centered everything that I do. Uh, I'm married to an educator. And so we all have this same altruism. We want to see people become more of themselves. And, and so, so that really, to me, you intersect that with creativity. I started blogging in early two thousands. And (laughs) I would write about uh, these three zones, like your um, creativity and how that affects how you lead people or your spirituality or your growth. And so Mm -hmm. creativity for me became what I kind of see it now is just another way to describe what people do when they thrive. But that's kind of led me to this point of how do uh, this desire to see others thrive and creativity when they kind of hit each other. And it was a wonderful uh, realization. I like that. A couple of things you just said about creativity are not ways that I have heard before. I would have thought like specifically what people creativity is what people do when they thrive, because that goes with like, I'm sure I know that I'm not the only one, but I've always had this really deep core belief that creativity is really like one of the human qualities, right? It's what makes us, we all have the ability to, um, like almost everything you do as you're walking about your day, Mm. no matter who you are, is in its nature creative, even if you don't feel like it is. Everything you do that is is new um, doesn't have to be completely unique or different but we are all we are all walking around in our individual lives every day with this ability to create and to and to make things that are new but we mm-hmm. don't all step into that and it's like this is what a lot of what we experience working in the education space like we don't we don't always find the motivation to step into that fully Right. And I feel like a lot of what you're talking about and what you had to discover as people started asking you about your process <laughs> was like, oh, wow, this is important enough that others want to know. Like it's an innate enough, exciting human quality that others want to know how I do it formally. And so like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking that you must have, have have that sort of discovery as part of this. Right. Is it something really really very human that um, without it, there's a lot that takes away from the experience of, of being able to flourish. Oh, flourishing is all what creativity is about and being hu- fully human in that, in that moment or the moments, the process. Um, I don't know if I invented this, but I, I often say 
I create, therefore I am. Because we see what people do, we know that what their work is. And so, yeah. And uh, the scientists have proven it. They say we're all wired for this. Our brains are different. You know, whether they cut up the brain or they put contacts on it and see what, how we think. The thing mm-hmm. that just fascinated me is, yeah, you're right. Some people think, hey, you're, you have to be born with this, a special thing that makes you innovative or creative or whatever. But what the scientists have said, no, the truth really is, is that our brains are uniquely wired to be creative. Yes, that's an interesting distinction there because we do place this, and I think just overall as a society, and this is not a new thing, we've always placed this um, this emphasis on the creative person or the creative brain as being this like special, specific special entity that is different. Like we, there are creatives among us, but we're not we're not all part of that. And there may be, and it's something that you're born with um, and we place it on artists, mm-hmm. but really creativity is, is in every field and everything. And, and it's not just about, about profession or work. Um, but yeah. And that, that's, that is a distinction there. I think that would be really helpful if people could, I'm again, thinking of schools, of course, because that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing all day, but it, again, it's would be really helpful if people could start to really understand that creativity is not for for some it's for all yeah so if you actually understand what the neuroscience tells us and what academics and artists even say see in each other is that uh it's an aptitude that all people have um but yet there's all there's actually two ways though of parts of society that we see kind of this these polar things there are those I call the robots and the wizards. Mm-hmm. Now they both are creative, but they both start at a different point in the creative process. And and one um, scientist I was reading, she would talk about how then as they, they progress, even though they start differently, look different, as they progress, they operate like every other human being. So a scientist is going to set technique and process in place well before they, they begin their journey. Um, a painter who's very technical is going to work on their technique, for instance, um, that's, that's the robot. Now, the wizard is kind of um, the divergent thinkers, the 20% of the population that I think I fit in. For the pe- <laughs> they're the ones that the teachers say, hello, Richie, can you wake up? You know, that's my name as a child. They tap on my shoulder. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm in another world, but that's the, um, the, the wizard's the one who gets up in the middle of the night and has to write his ideas down right away. Um, what they've seen is that these two are basically two networks in the brain. That work. You have the default mode network, which is where the person who's the uh, the, the wizard is there, and and so ideas are coming. And they're not really. It's not a lot of break on them, in other words. And then you have the other part, which is the central executive network, which is where the um, convergent thinker, the eighty percent of people, and we focus so much on that in education. We focus so much yeah. on finding the one right answer, and the difference is idea generation on the on this side here with the uh, wizard. You go from one idea and it goes everywhere. It goes to, you know, and then what you do on the other side, uh, convergent, is that you take and sort these ideas to find the best answer or the one right answer. And see, the thing is, you need both of these in creativity. Mm-hmm. And this is the secret. The secret, what I found out is switching between when do I focus and become convergent, like the, the robot, and when is it time for me to generate ideas, like the wizard, and defocus my uh allow thoughts in and have an open mind. And this is really, it's a classic example of having two people in a room and talking to each other. <laughs> if you're trying to come up with ideas and the other guy's, all he's doing is criticizing 
And then she's saying, look at this, you know, can you open your mind to this? And, but if they both realize they have the capacity to go to the bridge, as I call it this between science and magic, the bridge between logic and imagination, for instance. So if you're willing to travel that bridge, what they've shown is the most creative people in the world travel that bridge quickly. And so if we can learn like they learn, I think we could have a lot of aha moments. So how do we do that? <laughs> that's a good question. And that's, I mean, we're going to solve it right here for you folks yes. live today. We're going to say, how do you do that? Well, the part creativity of it, problem is solved today. Part of it's, let's say one thing that a lot of common people know is the idea of curiosity. Curiosity can actually grow um, pathways in your brain to be open to one thing. It's, and everybody's probably heard illustrations like this you know we were on road trips as kids before we had game boys right as kids mm -hmm. and so we count how many orange cars could you find and you know you might find one especially if you're going up the coast of california and there's very few cars eventually you're starting to see orange cars everywhere and it's not that they just appeared but your mind then is being trained to be curious and searching for things and so that just represents one of the kind of things you can do um, to grow it. The other idea that people are somewhat familiar with is idea of flow. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get into the state where you're kind of in what they call Kairos time instead of Kronos time, where you're lost in this moment and you can train yourself to get that way. Um, what mindfulness does, by the way, is kind of help you switch between yep. those things. And so the way this all works is, you know, if I'm, if I'm comfortable being the wizard, I'm going to, you know, not show up for appointments or I'm kind of get my paperwork late. But as, if I learn from the robot to get my paperwork on time, it's going to give me more freedom to be this uh, wizard with so many new ideas because I actually have them reservoired somewhere. So in essence, that's kind of the general gist of how I think like an educator would, would unlock some person's creativities by seeing, okay, they might need a little more structure or scaffolding so that their ideas can go somewhere. Because, yeah. you know, ideas, okay, this is, a, this is an idea. I don't know if I stole this or not again, but you can <laughs> cite me because I, I might be the first person to say the stories are containers for dreams. Mm -hmm. And stories have like structure to them. And so you mm -hmm. teach, you know, my wife, I overheard her teaching English. Uh, she's an online teacher and she's talking about, you know, the rising action and the conclusion and things for a story. Um, so you can look at just a structure. But you have to dream. If you have both of those things, the dream and the structure, that's how a person's creativity then can come to life. I am involved a lot in the writing community and the literary community in and around Los Angeles. And one of the things that I, I um, belong to a group that's called the Poetry Lab, and it's one of its founders, or its only founder, I'm not sure. She said once in a workshop, that always sticks with me. I think of this constantly. This I because she's a you know a young woman in Los Angeles who started her own, I guess, business based on her wanting to be a poet and a writer for a living. And she said, "Let's let me start a business where we do poetry workshops throughout the area. Um, we can do open mic nights. We can have book club. All of this stuff that goes into creating a literary life." But she said this thing once in a workshop that always sticks with me. And it was that we have this destructive idea of what it means to be a creative person, where the creative person is a little bit crazy and the creative person is messy and unstructured. And um, if we then extend that to being that our, our um, 
stereotypical idea of the creative person is some sort of an artist, then they're the person who's out of work or is always poor or can never figure out how to how to make money from their from their art. And she said that it's so destructive for us to continue to perpetuate that mindset um, in the modern age, because then how do I, you know, as a 35 year old woman in a, in a major city, that's hard to live in without money. How do I, how do I also stay sane and live a healthful life? If I want to be healthy and mindful, but also a writer, how, where, and so you talking about the bridge between those two Mm. mindsets uh, really brought that up immediately when her name is Danielle, this woman, when she, when she says things like that, they really resonate because, because I think with, until someone talks to you like that about the fact that you, you do need both to be healthy, you can kind of grow up feeling like to be some sort of creative, you also need to be a little unhealthy or off. <laughs> I, and it still yes. perpetuates. And I, I yeah. don't know if kids are growing up today thinking that, but it was something that existed forever. And and we're just never going to get to a point where we can be, you can be a living, working, healthy artist and and make some sort of money if you, if you are someone who can figure out that balance or that bridge the way you're putting mm. it. So I don't oh. know. Does that, that resonate with you? The oh, way it absolutely. That? Yeah. Absolutely resonates because we have a lot of toxic traits that we mm-hmm. try to embrace. One is the maestro of being a musician. You know, a person's mm-hmm. ego has to be huge. Um, but what if they're so difficult? Everyone thinks, in, in at least in the music world, that the maestro person, the super artist, is uh, the, the real creative person, when the reality is the true creative person is a collaborator. So they have to get along yeah. with people. They have to have emotional mm-hmm. intelligence. They have to learn to negotiate. You have to learn to give and take to see things happen. They have to expand their vision and go through the pain of saying, I've got to be humble enough to trust this person. Uh, you know, if you think about it, the collaborator exists on the bridge, right? Oh, yes. Don't they have to go back and forth? Well, you yeah, have I'm, to. I'm into the metaphor here. Let's go. Well, yeah. And, and the other metaphor I use for like creative process, I call it the dream, the sandbox, and the story. And the sandbox, the dream is, of course, where your ideation, you get the ideas. That's where the brain is the, the, the wizard. And you come to this idea of the sandbox where you kind of switch between these two of this robot and wizard and you could you work within constraints and so you learn what your budget is you learn how much time you have you learn what your canvas is and you develop your idea in tech world they call that the sandbox for checking out software so that's there and then of course the story is how do we uh bring it out into the real world and that's where we have to detail everything i get it ready to be you know like my book is a cover professional enough and you know i like 10 people you know you have six drafts of a, of a book. (laughs) People don't know this and pain of editors going back and forth and all that stuff that happens as you finish your project. So anyway, so, but what we're talking about here is this idea of constraints and, and it's, it's not healthy as a human being to live without constraints because time and space physics, you know, miracles happen in time and space. So Mm -hmm. we're not in time and space. We're, We're missing the miracle of just breathing in, in this moment. Um, I was like going through some of your, I have some of um, the quotes. I'm guessing they're, are they from your book? The quotes that are on your blog? Uh, some of them might be. But I had some of those open before and there's so much, many things that are similar between the quotes themselves, but you talk a lot and also reminding me of this bridge metaphor because I'm <laughs> guessing that's all on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> of course it, it is. must mean you really believe this stuff. <laughs> I love the bridge. We need bridges yeah. today. We have so many things like walls, you know. Well, you you mentioned a lot of things. You have a lot of things about 
about nuance. That's mm. one of your recent ones, right? Nuance and a lot of the things about being in the middle and having to think about where, not just where you belong, but being in the middle and having to piece things together. And that is, and that is kind of, I think, the essence of what you're talking about. Yeah. It, the bridge um, is just, it really is a, a way of thinking that allows me for nuance. And one, of, I think one of the quote you might, might've said is that uh, uh, certainty is my enemy and nuance is my friend. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm just only looking for certainty and I'm not willing to see gray and, and explore that, I'm going to miss out on the bigger picture for myself. And, you know, our society, I think this is, is really important. We need to learn to bridge between what is an imaginative thought and what is critical thinking. And so both of these things are together. In fact, it's, this is something that blew my mind. One researcher, she says this, that imagination is logical. And I had to like turn the page back and say, what did she just say? Uh, and she explained it this way. You walk towards a cliff and your body has all these things and it's too quick for your brain to come up with a list of here's the 10 things that could happen. But you're feeling like, okay, the wind might blow me off and, you know, some, you know, prank might happen and I'm, I'm out other side of the cliff, off the cliff. So what you're feeling is coming from the central executive of your brain telling you there's mm-hmm. dangers, but you're doing it in pictures and quickly in your brain to kind of protect yourself. So it's actually logical for you to have these reactions. And if, if we understand that, then we can kind of decode even how, what is healthy for us, what's not healthy for us. Um, and, and listen to what our body tells us sometimes more than a lot of us in my generation that, you know, say I'm over 50, mm-hmm. you know, we were kind of told, no, don't trust those feelings yet. You just got to be critical and logical, especially if you're in technical fields, of course, my friends. But mm-hmm. all that to say is it's logical to be imaginative. And so if I'm not willing to go there and see possibilities, then maybe I'm not really grounded. I I had never thought of it in that exact wording, logical to be imaginative, but it is reminding me of some of the research and reading that I've done extensively over the last couple of years about focus and flow, like you Mm. were mentioning before, Um, but specifically about the many different kinds of focus that we have and that most of us are not tapping into all of them and we're not really aware how to even utilize our own attentional skills. We think that we've lost the ability to pay attention, but there is a part of of like focus studies that talks about it's almost like one of the most high levels of focus where you you're not just we think of focus as like being being really narrow on one thing or a few things mm-hmm. and being able to switch between a few things. But if you widen that scope, um, they think of it in terms of like what the most busy, powerful leaders like have to do, where they have to be able to widen their scope and focus on many things at Mm -hmm. once, many people, many groups of people, many individuals within those groups, many ideas that are being formed within those groups, ideas that are coming new from their own brain. And in order to do, you're now talking about another metaphor for another kind of bridge, right? They have oh, yeah. to think widely, mm-hmm. like uh, about about all of. It's almost like taking a like a floodlight, and they have to see rather than it being a flashlight. It's like a floodlight of all of these people and ideas and teams and functions, plus future possibilities and problem solving, and and um, that's just one part of it. That's that's part of what I was thinking, like imagination being. Um, mm. something that you have to have as part of that focus. 
But then also part of that, part of the focus studies is being able to know when you also need to just take a break from intensity (laughs) and let your imagination wander because that is where creativity, that's that other nuance, right? Hmm. When you take, if I'm, if I'm here at this desk for four hours and I'm doing video interview after video or whatever it is that I'm on a screen and then I sudden, and I'm hitting a block, like then I try to do write a blog after being four hours on video and I can't, it's because I need to let my brain kind of dissipate a bit and get up and let oh, yeah. that let that let the the imagination kind of wander and then i can come back and maybe suddenly the focus takes hold again and i think we kind of have we've we've gotten discouraged from this idea of mind wandering and really that's something that brings us back to um finding creativity i believe well you mentioned two main things here that are really exci- excited me over time as i've been researching the, the creativity the first thing is about like leaders and how the good ones can see broadly. They call that multi-framing. So what they're able to do is they, it's like multiverse, Marvel, mm-hmm. love Marvel. <laughs> and, and you choose to say, I'm thinking of HR as a window and I'm being empathetic institutionally about that. Then I'm thinking of the politics involved. I'm thinking then of another frame of the structure of the business. I'm thinking of, of the four frames here, the Bowman deal. The fourth one is symbolism. What are, what's our values? And so, a leader will have the ability to quickly switch. That's again, his bridge between many different mm-hmm. things in front of them. Uh, also, it's like one leader said uh, in a book I read, you're on a, uh, the balcony and dance floor. You have to be able to switch between seeing perspective and then being in the moment. And so the mind wandering yes. part though, that you mentioned is really exciting because it's, you have to play sometimes. And there are four points that for a hundred years, academics around the world have reinforced from a guy named Graham Wallace way back in the day. And apparently he wasn't the greatest guy in the whole world, but he came up with this <laughs> idea of these four steps in creativity where I just kind of stole that from my three-step process, the dream sandbox and story. And it basically you have this idea of preparation where you get ready for everything. Then you have this idea of incubation where you go under and that's where you're talking about, you got to withdraw whatever. And then there's illumination where the ideas actually then start coming. And then there's of course elaboration and you go iteratively through this process again, um, and maybe mm. recursively too. So this is where rest is so important. This is where your mind is always going to be working, in other words, but you can mm-hmm. choose to find, you know, something peaceful or walking or walking, by the way, is a big deal. I, I do that one. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes that's how people really get into that mind wandering state, right? You just have to let your body wander. <laughs> <laughs> You let your body wander and well, the yeah. go with it, maybe. And, and we're stuck behind screens. Like if I'm writing or making music, mm-hmm. you know, I'm behind a screen all the time. We're behind screens right now. Um, and so for us to get up and, and just notice, hey, you know, that's a pretty cool, the plant's blooming finally. Yeah. And, and to think about how educators can apply. I have a feeling that when they do, when people do listen to this episode, even though creativity is on our minds as educators all the time, but in the terms of like, how do I inspire or create spaces within a structured school environment that, that allow for more creativity. And a lot of that has come in recent years in things like a project-based learning environment, where it's a little bit less um, structured and more, more hands-on. Like there are a lot of different environments like that, that are embraced in schools informal school settings these days but i'm wondering like i'm 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 thinking about 
how that can even be pushed further because I love I love this idea of embracing both the structure and the mm-hmm. I don't know not the imagination oh, or the, whatever yeah the magic and the science is how I feel yes that's a really that is to me the question about creativity and I don't necessarily have all the answers but give I really, us the answers but I think it, it's identifying first of all twenty percent are going to be your divergent thinkers. So out of your classroom, you're going to have, you know, uh, two out of 10 who are not going to be as uh, convergent. And, but they may be actually more adept at being able to come up with ideas and concepts at a higher level. And Mm -hmm. so the idea is how do you take a dominant culture in an educational environment that teaches to get one right answer and then begin to say, what kind of answers are going to take more imagination? And so how can you structure things so that both of those you challenge both sides. So you say it's, a, you know, how do we take your imaginative thought and lead it to some uh, conclusion? But how do you take your conclusion backwards and look look behind your shoulder and see, you know, what other opportunities could you have thought of? What other mm-hmm. things could you have solved? What other ways can you solve this math problem that you just, you found one way that works for you all the time, but maybe it's, you know, and that's an exercise of the brain. So in doing so, you're going to teach I think critical thinking, you're going to teach um, people to be more, quote, what I call that nuance area, which requires whatever's more comfortable to you. It's bringing that student or that, that employee or whatever yourself to the other side to see it's awkward for me. I always call this embracing the awkward. So for me, it was embracing time management. I got to embrace time management, you know, whatever, because I'm living on Kairos time all the time. Um, and so I have to realize, okay, here's the clock. So I think that's kind of the, key. I think that's the really key is, is how do you structure things so that you bring the bridge to both directions mm. and knowing which people in the room need help going to where and not doing them at the same time is the other thing that, that researchers kind of, uh, seem to say it all together is you can't really do both of these ways of thinking in your own brain at the same time. Two people doing them are going to have conflicts, but if you're, in your brain, you're going to be kind of like, it's the gas and it's the break at the same time. And so that's where learning about the creative process is very important because it's a human process. And if humans are wired this way, then I think we can learn better this way too. And so that actually leads perfectly into what my last couple of uh, questions were going to be is that your, your, I guess, audience for these kinds of discussions and for things like your book are, is really everybody. It's not like this is a book for people looking to be more creative, or I want to talk to people who are, you know, artists, you're, you're thinking about this as a human action. To thrive and flourish as a human being is to find out more of how we are made as a human Mm -hmm. being or designed and, and giving space for that to happen. And so really that's, that's my focus and that's the desire. Um, that's why I really think it's another way just to describe what we are when we are thriving or flourishing is what creativity. That's why war and these terrible things happening around us are, are tragic because the loss of life is the loss of a human being. And what they what do they do? We're losing their creation. We're blowing up things as opposed to building things. And and so the more we can build, uh, the more we can get beyond a zero sum thinking about ourselves and realize that the generosity for myself to let myself create is what's going to be generosity to my community and to those around yeah. me. When I was a senior in high school, they had I, I was the first class to take this because they had just offered a new elective for seniors that was a half year course. 
and it was like kind of half an art course, um, but almost then like a philosophy course as well. It was taught by a theater teacher, but it was like all of these things combined. But so I was the first, we were the first group to take this class. And I can't remember the name, whole, it had a long title, the name of the course, but it was essentially literally what we're talking about. The basis was like creativity is like human beings are creative acts or something like it was about being creative as a human. But the idea was to, it was specifically being offered to high school to seniors because you're about to go off into the adult world, whether you're going to college or wherever, and um, where you're going to be pulled into a space where people are telling you not to play Hmm. and you have to start to be serious. Now you have to think about your real life. What are you going to do? And then all of the things that you've kind of not been asked to do or suddenly, you know, for 18 years are now going to be um, thrown at you hmm. in various degrees, not all at once hmm. for everybody. But at the same time, regardless of what your actual individual responsibilities become, you are increasingly being told at that point that to be an adult looks one way, but to be a child looks another way. And now you're going to move from one to the other and you can't do the things that you loved when you were a kid. And the idea of this class was, Let's not think of it as doing things that we did when we were a kid, but let's think of all of the things that you do as being creative acts. And so everybody in this class is going to paint whatever. Everybody in this class is going to record themselves playing or singing or what. So it didn't matter. I mean, if you were an athlete or an artist or an engineer or anything, you were going to do every single creative project, you didn't pick one based on your interests. Everybody did all of them. And so we would come in one day after the the two weeks where we painted. And when those projects were done, we would have to put them on the floor in a circle and walk around and do like a gallery walk and pretend we were in a museum and literally like write comments to people, reflections about, I love how you use the color red here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like <laughs> things like that. And we did the same thing for recording. We did it for everything, sculpture, mm. um, writing, stuff like that. And then it wound up being, and I don't, I haven't been back. I, I used to visit that classroom occasionally. I haven't been back there in years, um, in like six years probably. But, but at that point, even six years ago, if you walked into that teacher's, what used to be that teacher's classroom, the paintings from my class are still hanging up on campuses <laughs> wow. from 20 years ago um, mm. as if it's a museum because we were the first class that did it. But, it. but but everything that you created became part of the museum of that room as if like we are all able to be a part of this and this is what makes us human and not to let that go just because you've turned 18 and you're leaving high school. Mm. Like you're allowed to go out with your friends and run in a field and scream like kids. Like that's part of creativity. That's the imagination. And so- what you're working on and what you're trying to get people to think about and take a little bit more seriously is it reminding me of that experience of, um, and it was something that I took, I took that course because I felt like I felt that impending doom of like, Oh no, adulthood, like how do I embrace this? But I did know a lot of parents, like of like adults at that time were also against that of like, this is ridiculous. This is a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like you're going mm-hmm. to college. And so. There's a bridge right there, right? How do we bridge both of those things? We don't want to say I'm I'm staying 15 forever. We're not like <laughs> in Peter Pan world, but at the same time, it's so much healthier if years and years go by and you can still slip into that space. 
Mm. So yeah, I just built mm. another bridge for us there, but it's reminding me that. all of this wraps into what you're saying. I think I love that, that in, to be able to see 20 years later, that memory and to know how, mm-hmm. why it was done too, because mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of voices that, that want us to fit in boxes, but really our job is to see, you know, what can we create if we're stuck in a box? Well, we still got to learn to play. Um, and I think that's been proven in, in LA where I don't live there anymore, I live in San Francisco Bay area, but I love my musician friends. Mm-hmm. They didn't just, they work so hard. If you're getting in a van and you're traveling, you're not a big act. You're going to be playing little shows and all you go through to slog to get to that moment of creation. But how they kept going too, is they played a couple of my friends mm-hmm. were great cooks and my goodness, they enjoyed food and they had things in their life that they created that was beyond even their work as musicians. And so I think this is, you know, you see creative people around you and say, why does that person keep going and thriving? You'll see their work, but you also see, I think, their play. Well, what a great note to end that conversation on. <laughs> that was perfect. It's almost like we pre-wrote that script there, but no, that was a creative act in itself. <laughs> so I'm wondering if maybe you can give us uh, some insight into a little bit of a fuller picture of what what kind of things you're, you consume or have loved to consume recently. Do you Is there anything you've been reading or watching or listening to that you would like to recommend to people you can say no i've consumed nothing <laughs> well i've consumed but, uh, food sure. uh, okay food lo- lots of food <laughs> you um, recommend eating <laughs> sushi is always a good thing if you can get a fun sushi place um i am reading this interesting this palgrave studies is like this academic group in europe mostly mm-hmm. and there's a new book they have on uh what's well, a newer book to me on sociology of creativity so i'm reading this and it's blowing my mind because there's so much they're studying right now about not just how an individual creates, but the implications for society. And so my curiosities is going in that direction. And I'm reading a mm-hmm. sci-fi novel that I forgot what the title is, but it's really cool. There's like these spiders, that <laughs> giant spiders that they're trying to fight from this village. So I'm like thinking about that in the back of my head. I can't remember the title of it, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm. Well, we I'm won't going... put that in the show notes until I know the title. But... Well, it's like a hundred pages. <laughs> In and it's like yeah. a 600 page novel my daughter gave me because I'm trying to, again, I'm trying to, I'm not normally a person who'd read fantasy, mm-hmm. but it's again, okay, I need to read this because it's, I'm getting into it. But again, my brain is, how can I understand fantasy literature if I'd never read mm-hmm. it? So, yeah, cool. And so, where can people find you and connect with you? And if they want to talk to you more about this stuff or just interact with you um, on the web somewhere? Well, um, you can go to my, site it's rkblog.com and also find me on twitter um not there as much as they used to be threads i love threads by the way if people are do you that. are you threading a lot i, I am threading i feel like a, we've a all bit. abandoned it we were threading like a couple months ago and well, i feel like i feel like, like i'm not stalker on thread because i have just a circle of folks that i can see on there now uh, uh yeah. where when i was on twitter and you have it used to be hidden it's yeah. just hard to see but yeah, so uh, rkblog.com and my book um, is on Amazon somewhere mm-hmm. and audio and all the different formats. So cool. that's fun. All right. Well, we'll put all the notes, uh, all the links to those things in the show notes so people can find you and talk to you and ask you questions and say, no, I disagree with you. <laughs> I love that because you know what? Let's have open Twitter <laughs> arguments about creativity, everybody. <laughs> I'm still on the bridge. So maybe I'll, you know, if I made some mistakes here, I'd love to know. <laughs> 
this the bridge has to be in the title of this episode somewhere or the art <laughs> or the artwork for this episode somewhere but um otherwise if, is there anything else you want to leave people with because i think that's it you are creative so keep creating there is nothing i like more than an unexpected opportunity to connect with someone new someone who's doing the real work to help people find their potential rich is an example of this I hope our conversation here helped you to reflect a bit more deeply on your ideas about what creativity is and how you take advantage or don't take advantage of this bridge that is waiting for us to discover it. Once again, our habits are going to form us here. How can we boost our tolerance for failure and increase our willingness to iterate and discover over and over? This is the key to thriving in a future with AI unlocking meta-creativity as an even higher order thinking skill. You can let us know exactly what you think of this episode by leaving a comment on Substack if you're a subscriber, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. The hashtag optimalist can be used when posting answers to questions that we ask here, and that way I'll be sure to see it. I can also be reached at Sarah, with no H, at getengageable.com. You can listen and subscribe to the Optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of the resources that we talk about are available in the show notes. The Optimalist podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the mindful pulse you need for doing better. And it's free. Create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Engageable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I'll be back next week with a new conversation. Stay engaged.